there's an old saying that um, looks can be deceiving. Oh. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, when you look at these headphones that we make, and the Diana series has been kind of similar uh, in kind of looks since inception, the new TC has a lot of changes to it. Outwardly, you can't really tell. But the Diana chassis has been a continual evolution since its inception. There's literally hundreds of changes. And a lot of them you can see, but they're very non-obvious. That's for sure. Mm. And the new chassis on Diana TC has a somewhat moderately clear change. The whole pattern on the outside is a little different. The spacing and location of the holes is the same. But the diameter of the holes that actually go through the center surface has changed. Um, there's now four drill sizes instead of one to try to maximize the open area. So the, what that means is the CNC machine is going between four different bits as it drills, I don't know, 700 some holes, whatever. And I don't even know how many holes are in there. There's like 500 something that actually yeah, go through. On each side, it's changing yeah. up bits to do different sizes so you can maximize the open space of the backside. Well, once it's painted in the metal, you can't really tell. But on the screen, it was easier to tell, though. The when it's on, yeah, yeah, in the, in yeah. the, uh, in the SolidWorks. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's true. You could look it at was that like, and go, well, that looks different. It's black and white. Yeah, but yeah. When, when it's painted. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Subtle. Actually, that's true. The color, the colors do kind of, like, fool your eye. You see that your eye sees the same uh, pattern of holes, but it doesn't really see the difference in size because it's subtle. Yes. Before, it wasn't super critical on Dyna V2. Um, so we didn't want to bother with it because it does take a bit more time. But um, Dyna TC, it matters a lot more. So we wanted to get it as open as we could get it. And the minimum hole spacing is about five to six thousandths of an inch from the tightest spot to the next tightest corner. And um, it was about 13 before. So pretty considerable. Um, you can't really see it unless you have them side by side, but it is somewhat obvious in, in the right lighting and angle and whatnot. And we should probably define that too. Like the reason you want it more open is because it's an open back headphone and open back headphones are known for sounding more open. So the more closed they are, but correction, let's back up a bit. Most open back headphones are mostly closed, <laughs> even though they call it open because yeah. there's so many objects in the way. Uh, you know that for this from from the whatever the speaker is behind it there's usually a lot of things in between that get in the way that block or reflect the sound so we're obviously trying to avoid that as much as possible and yet have a rigid structure to protect the insides so it's a trade-off everything's a trade-off like all design work you know you well, I remember he did push it too far initially <laughs> and yeah. yeah it was just like we actually made one and it was just like flexible in the middle. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, you were yeah, too much. Yeah, I mean, since we cut these parts ourselves, you were able to step through different iterations of drill bit sizes and placements and find out how thin, how how much material can we remove till it's too much. Yep. You know, It's surprising how narrow the window is. Um, you could get away with 5 thou-ish, but we're running about 6 in production, and um, it's pretty strong. Uh, unless you hit it with a bat, it's, it's, it's pretty durable. Um, but around four, it's surprisingly brittle. Um, so it's, it's shocking how little variance you could have there. And it produces a, a part that looks virtually identical, 
but just does not have the strength required. So it is really fickle, um, but it's pretty good. It's pretty open. And I guess we could talk a bit more about the openness because headphones, for whatever reason, they seem to be a bit binary in their definition. They either say open or closed. Sometimes they say semi-open, but for the most part, they say open or closed. And that is a very loose way of defining things because, um, of course, open to me would mean there's nothing behind it. Uh, but inevitably, there's always something behind the driver that's causing reflections and acoustic impedance. It's causing the sound to have a harder time to get away from the driver and stop it from um, doing types weird effects and stuff like that, from bouncing around and causing distortions inside the headphone. Yeah, there should be like a different term, like open is open. Okay, we get it where, you know, that means they don't try to seal it. But how open is it? I mean, it's more like how there should be like a direct openness type term like what percentage is directly open mm, not like a open baffle uh, uh, open baffle speaker you know literally just nothing yeah now see that's, that would that's, be open that would be considered 100 percent open yeah. there is nothing behind it however the basket assemblies behind it yeah magnet right? so the magnet assemblies behind it so even there technically yeah if you are looking at i mean because there's nothing back there and it's a speaker in a room you got other issues you're dealing with but in a headphone all of that matters that and that basket behind there is a reflection point for the sound. You're bouncing off and coming back at a delayed a delayed signal, so to speak, to the eardrum. Hmm. So your ear, it's messing with imaging. And so there's all kinds of things that go on where in a headphone, because you don't have a room to cover and mask these things, you know, where you're eight feet away from a speaker and other issues occur. Well, yeah. uh, you're, you know, you're, you're an inch, your eardrum's an inch, inch and a half away from this thing. And so it the, the brain will pick out these timing differences and uh, it, best, it, it messes with imaging. So... Yeah, but anyway, that's what that's why we try as much as possible on an open back to have it open. Yeah, well, BMW just was working on that with their mid-range, that new biometric, uh, you know, uh, suspension they added to get rid of the spider. So it's like as minimized as possible to reduce reflections off that. Yeah. So they're trying to make it as open behind. Which driver was that? Uh, mid-range. Mid-range? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is pretty sensitive to that. Yep. You know? People know vocals real well, so uh, it's tough to get mids perfect. The, to, to make mid-range sound like li- life is very difficult. Like pretty much anything, it's very dependent on the design. And I think with a headphone especially, they're very sensitive to reflections inside the chassis. Ideally, you want to try to minimize them, and that's the point of the open back headphone. It's to just dump all the noise that comes out of the back end of the driver out the back, not have to deal with it, not have to worry about it bouncing around, causing issues inside your headphone. But of course, inevitably, you have to have some sort of structure to hold the thing on your head. You can't have it just open to the backside. It needs to be strong enough to handle some sort of, you need to be able to throw it in a bag. It needs to handle all kinds of uh, abuse and neglect that some consumers will present it with and debris and all things like that. So you always need to mechanically protect the driver. But at the same time, you kind of want to minimize the amount of time the sound inside the chassis spends in the chassis. So it's not just bouncing around all day. You want to get it out fast. And in order to do that, you want to make it as open as you can for the most part. Uh, That's why we made the holes bigger. Uh, Not super obvious from the outside, but a pretty moderate gain, actually, in some circumstances. But beyond that, I mean, you know, there's interior changes, too. I mean, you and me worked on... um, Tunic. Yeah, tuning it, and part of that was actually adding material inside to to, to um, change the reflective points 
of the interior. We were trying to kill the corners, basically. And uh, speaker builders do that. Room builders do that because corners act like horns. Mm. You know, when you get a, a sound that hits a corner, it reflects out and expands out like a almost like a horn shape. It almost amplifies the reflection. So um, we did more uh, on this new one with trying to remove that from being an issue with this. Yeah, fine-tuning it, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it was surprising how little it took to change it pretty significantly, at least if you were comparing them side by side. So bottom line is that you, once you and me were done final tuning this thing with the interior um, the way it is, um, I think we struck like a really cool balance with all that resolution and yet never, ever goes too far. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it was a classic case of right to the edge and then back a quarter Bring it turn. back, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was kind of cool. It was fun. And we found out we could do that to a fraction of an inch or so with what we did. <laughs> yeah, it was surprising, yeah. Yeah, so anyway. Um, and, then of course, materials matter and all that stuff. Where that's what we do. I guess we don't really discuss that, but not only do you fine-tune the interior with the various materials, it depends on thicknesses and densities and, you know, what, do you, what would you call it? We got, like, basically a grab bag here of stuff to play with. More like, not a bag, more like a big box. <laughs> mm. Well, I think yeah. we got a pretty sound approach to doing these things, since, of course, the end result is it needs to be manufactured. You need to get something that's manufacturable. Well, yeah, right. Right? Uh, so to make more than one. For the most part, the solution to everything is find all available options that are feasible and reasonable, try them, see if they work. If they don't work, then you explore more obscure stuff. But uh, pretty much just try everything that's practical and see if you can make it work. Because that's a great approach if you can make an off-the-shelf part work. Yeah, well, it helps that from doing this in prior iterations, we have a lot of things laying around to try, you know, yeah. already on hand. And we kind of know what they do already. Yeah. So we can kind of go right to certain things and go, all right, let's put that here and, you know, and, and see if it helps that or this. Yeah, but, but I do like trying things that aren't exactly obvious. And Try a little bit of everything, see if it works. And the other thing we really didn't cover, of course, the, the diaphragms vary from every time we do something different, something changes with the actual speaker diaphragm itself. And, uh, you know, we have, we, we, we make that in-house where we can vary the trace patterns at will. And, you know, I think we talked about it on our one video. We went through over 200 iterations of uh, the driver alone, you know. So there's a lot that goes on on the interior of this thing that, even if you looked at two interiors, you probably, the naked eye wouldn't really know what they're looking at difference-wise, but we do, because we did yeah. it. I do think a good way to put it, though, is if you were to open, which we do not recommend, a Diana TC and look at it compared to previous models, it's obvious, right? You do see people say that, well, if I open it, would it look different? Yes. Well, yeah, it'll look it different. It would. Yeah. It's obvious. But you wouldn't know what you're looking at. And that therein no, lies the problem. You know what the differences are. You're not. It's hard to define. You still see a, a painted aluminum shell inside. You still see a printed circuit board that yeah. connects everything. It's the same ingredients see, essentially. Yeah. You but. see, you see a, tra a metallic trace pattern on a on a clear membrane, so to speak. <laughs> it kind of to most people they wouldn't know the difference. You know what I mean? No, it's not like it's night and day, but the yeah. differences are but readily they're, right, apparent. Agreed. They're visible. Agreed. Yeah, if you overlaid the two. Yeah. On each other. It'd be, oh, I see that. And you move them around and go, oh, yeah, I see that, too. And then you'd yeah. see that, too. And you'd see that, too. And it, but usually yeah. the things that make a lot of the difference, a lot of the nuance, is really fickle. You could move a trace 
less than a thousand thousandth of an inch and have a difference. Believe it or not. Yeah. So it's pretty sensitive at times, and you cannot see that. And I think that's more, that probably is more akin to our patented transducer design than it is a lot of planar headphones. Because most planers are working in an, iso, an isodynamic field, right? So where they have supposedly a consistent magnetic mag field there anywhere, which seems to yeah. say, okay, I could put a piece of wire or trace anywhere. Nothing's ever perfect. But yeah, but it doesn't work like that. Yeah, there is no such thing as a consistent vector-oriented trace uh, magnetic field. It's just a question even. of your ability to measure. Because um, sometimes you could get something that's, better than your ability to resolve. But uh, uh, unfortunately, the reality is when you use stuff that isn't common off-the-shelf parts, the costs aren't 10% more, 20% more. They're dramatically more, and that's kind of the issue. That's why most of the time people do things a similar enough way. They make things with similar materials in a similar fashion, sometimes even using similar chassis made in a similar company because that's economical. Uh, making things a little bit differently usually costs way more. So sometimes you kind of need it, but um, it is a real cost driver, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not like we could just go to Walmart and get a couple yards of Alcantara either. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a rather large rolls of it in the back sitting there just waiting to be used. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's expensive stuff. You can't just get it anywhere on demand either. You know, well, it's yeah, one they of those stopped selling it, didn't they? Uh, the distributor's gone in the U.S., yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. The durability of the commonly available products, though, is nowhere near up to par. The, that's a very durable product. Yeah, I mean, it's been great. We've had it on Diana's for years, and that's, you, you don't see anything other than potential for getting dirty with skin oils or something. It's... It never goes bad. Yeah, but for it's, the most part, it even tolerates that quite well. Yeah, actually, yeah, it stays pretty clean, actually, surprisingly. It could probably be wiped off, too. Well, it is one of the design requirements for its main use in seats and oh, stuff. Oh, that's you know. true. Yeah, right, right. It's good stuff. But, you know, it, and here, you know, that's what we're doing. I mean, it's a con- it's a constant evolution and improvement on all materials on it, um, everything. And, uh, and, and so when somebody takes a current Gen Diana and takes it out the box and you look at it, I think... I think you'll see right away the de- the amount of detail on it. You know, it's one of those things where it's not defined by a, fo- a single photograph. You have to hold it in your hands, look at it. And people have said this over the years at bottom. Yeah. You know, we get that kind of feedback all the time. So oh, it's nicer than I thought type thing. Uh, so it just proves that the photo doesn't do it any justice. It really doesn't. So anyway, that kind of covers more of our evolution on a Diana series. And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. And please give us the thumbs up. Uh, and subscribe so you know what's coming next. Take care.